Today on Man Reads Monday, we have a special guest joining us, Mark Horn. Uh, Mark Horn holds an MDiv from Covenant Theological Seminary and is a minister in the PCA. He is the executive director of Logo Sapiens Communications and writes at their website, solomonsays.net. His other books include The Victory According to Mark, an Exposition of the Second Gospel, and J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, which I believe is a little uh, bio of, of Tolkien. Uh, Mark lives in St. Louis with his wife, Jennifer, and they have four children. Mark, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Aaron. So I have a question that I just have to ask you about your commentary on Mark. Did you choose that because your name is Mark? Because it sounds like the victory according to Mark Horn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry. The, the, the title was, of course, from um, N.T. Wright's The Victory. Um, now I'm forgetting what exactly it was. The Victory of Jesus. Was, no, the new. Um, golly, I can't remember the full title. It's like my favorite book, and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> getting it mixed up with the New Testament of the people of God. Jesus and the Victory of God. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So that, that was what I had in mind. Um, I was already leading a Bible study on Mark and had done all this research on Mark before someone asked me to write a book on Mark. Um, I believe Doug Jones actually approached me about that okay. uh, back in the day and for Canon. So um, I, didn't, I didn't plan all that, but yeah, it did work out kind of egotistically. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. I've, been, I've seen your commentary around over at like the Canon offices. I'm in math. I've been uh, working through Matthew and I'm like, as soon as I get to Mark, I have your commentary loaded up, ready to, ready to go. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, one, one of the questions I kind of wanted to start with was uh, before we get into the book, how is it that you ended up in pastoral ministry and then now doing some writing? Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your journey into the ministry? Oh yeah. Well, um, See, I think, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's a, it's almost an American story, like, that we Protestants tell. I mean, in high school, I became a lot more serious of the, about the Christian faith at one point. Um, I was in, then in an interdenominational situation. It was a, a military base in the mid-Pacific. It's uh, called Kwajalein, Marshall Islands. Um, and it's, it's not as populous now, but at that time, there's about 3,000 civilians, you know, it was a little village. So all us Protestants were forced into like the same group together, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had a chapel that you turn the cross around and it becomes a crucifix, you know, that kind of thing. But um, so it was like a, it wasn't military. We were, most of us were civilians, but it was a military base and it was like a company basically was, you know, there's these companies that are that are contracted to provide, to make a human habitation, to make it like it, it is. So we're in that, in that situation, I had a reformed Sunday school teacher who I am still friends with somehow. I'm, I'm very glad that he's patient with me. And he gave me lots of books and you know, that's how it, right. That's how it all starts. And um, yeah. there might be a downside to that, that maybe my book on Solomon says was meant to address, but anyway, that's how it started. So in college, I went to Houghton College in Western New York, which was a um, Wesleyan school, which probably, in retrospect, wasn't the best idea or our best match. But, you know, decisions were made at different stages in my intellectual development or, you know, decay, whatever you want to call it. And um, so I, I just did a lot of reading. They had a good library. 
Um, and I got very interested in a lot of theological things, and I ended up um, getting gravitating towards theological jobs. I got an internship with American Vision that summer. Um, after I graduated, I brought George Grant, who's, who's now a PCA pastor, as a, a speaker at an at a issues event at, at the college, and later ended up working for him. And in fact, ended up having a couple of jobs with him and moving with him to Franklin, Tennessee after Florida, after working at Coleridge Ministries. Um, so I was doing a lot of writing, a lot of Christian writing, wrote some for Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy way back when. And, um, you know, I, so I always had the church and theological ministry in my mind. Um, in Nashville, though, I also started teaching Bible studies and teaching Sunday schools because they needed people. And I was there. I did some of that in Coleridge Presbyterian Church as well. And that's where eventually I tried to fit things together in my life. That was where I seen my gifts lay. Mm -hmm. And um, I did more and more of that stuff. So I eventually started looking around for seminary, decided that was probably the, the where, where God was calling me, and um, eventually raised some support and then just stupidly went to St. Louis, moved to St. Louis without, you know, without knowing how to get a job there, but figuring out we'd get a job, Jennifer would get a job, I'd get a job. And basically, semi was supported and half worked my way through seminary. Okay. And um, so that's how it happened. I mean, not a real blinding light, but a lot of providential nudges. So. And then how did you end up between seminary and your current pastorate? Uh, did you church plant? Did you, how did, how did you end up? Well, with the I am not pastoring right now. I am without Paul. So that, that's not happened. Um, but no, I ended up pastoring out of bounds at an independent church and reformed church up in Auburn, Washington. Oh, okay. And then got a call to a kind of more traditional country PCA church in Minko, Oklahoma. Hmm. Um, but, um, I had connections, of course, to the church here at Providence at, um, in St. Louis called Providence Reformed Presbyterian Church because I knew Jeff Myers okay. uh, from his writings. And then I met him when I moved to St. Louis and we had joined his church. And he was a great person to study under and to kind of serve under, um, as a lot of seminary students did, and be an intern for a while. So I actually, he raised some money because he needed some things done. And so I took a temporary assistant position for a while and um, and worked, moved back here and um, did some pastoral things and also helped with his book, um, his commentary on um, Ecclesiastes, A Table in the Mist, which is a really good book, which I ended up talking about in my book on Proverbs because I needed to deal with some things related to that. So um, it's just been a series of, of, of calls and churches as God's led and open and closed doors. Um, what happened was, though, in St. Louis, I decided I was tired of moving for a while and perhaps somewhat naively thought I'd, I'd just go without call for a while. Um, and then I had a stroke and life happened and several things. That it just had, So I haven't really gotten out of that situation yet. Mm -hmm. um, but And I didn't have a chance to write much at, at a certain point. And then people found out that I was thinking about Proverbs. I'd written tiny stuff about it and started asking me about a book. And eventually, I basically got support to write the book. So through um, friends who believed in what I was doing. So that was great. And I finally got that out yeah. over the past couple of years. 
Yeah, so the, the subtitle for Solomon Says is Directives for Young Men. And when I saw that, I immediately thought of J.C. Ryle's book, Thoughts for Young Men, which is a much a kind of a classic sort in the kind of biblical manhood world. Yeah. And uh, was that influential? I never read it or heard about it until after I wrote the book and people saw the <laughs> subtitle and told me about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know that. I've heard J.C. Ryle, so I may have seen Yeah that title at one point in my past, it did not come up when I was thinking about this stuff. I'm so okay. sorry. I wish it had. Yeah, no, it's great because it harmonizes with that book in so many ways. I'm uh, glad. I really appreciate it. Um, so tell us a little bit, how would you characterize kind of the state of young men in America, or you could even just say the West right now? And was there a specific, like this book seems very timely in terms of, you know, I'm in college ministry, I'm just working with young men all the time. I'm like, I just want everyone to read this. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, and it's kind of parallel to my answer about where I got the title for the victory according to Mark, and that it didn't mean that it didn't mean to happen. What happened is, you know, I've had to work some odd jobs in my life, especially after a few years ago, and um, I was one of the things I tried to do on one of these well, one of these jobs. It was um. I was servicing porta potties part time, um, and I could safely use their CD player in the truck because I had travel. I had different kinds of things I had to do, and I used that to memorize proverbs. To memorize proverbs ten through twelve wow. at one time. I've no longer, you know, you have to keep practicing that to keep it in your yeah. mind. So I can no longer do that. But there was one time I could restart with Proverbs ten one, which is the second book. It's the it's where Proverbs starts getting so called aphoristic, right? So I did that for my own benefit. I did that because I had always known I should do more with Proverbs for my own life. I probably needed to, even though I didn't know that I didn't feel the need. I just, it was just something to do that was something that Christians do. And it was, you know, it worked for a while. I mean, I wanted to memorize a bigger chunk, but I find that um, you can't actually just linear progress with that. You know, it doesn't build on what you did before. It actually starts overwriting what you did before. So Maybe someone with a higher IQ or younger can do that, but I, I at three chapters, I kind of reached my limit um, for retaining the beginning to the end. But in any case, the point is, when I was doing that, you see, so I didn't have any idea about what youth need. It wasn't what what's going on in the world. It was, here's this thing in the Bible that I know is centered on wisdom, mm-hmm. yet I don't understand it really. And it's obviously meant to be memorized. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you can get only so much from reading it a lot or from just like looking up different topics. I mean, it is meant to be memorized though, you know, it's still a mystery how it kind of works. I mean, it's still a mystery to me, even though I wrote a book about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got some, I hope I move us forward, but I think it's still a project for the whole church as far as I know, unless there's some brilliant commentary lying around somewhere. Um, Yeah. I mean, that solve it. Yeah. But it, so it wasn't about, what the world needs. And I had never heard of Jordan Peterson back then. <laughs> this was like 10 or 12 years ago. <laughs> but I, it made me kind of wrestle with the text because for one thing in memorizing aphoristic stuff where different stuff sounds like other, where different verses sound like each other, you kind of want to get a pattern in your head or a logic in your head. So you don't get diverted into the wrong, like you don't skip over verses. <laughs> so for that reason alone, I was trying to think of like connections directions, patterns in there. 
And it just made me think more and more about the book. I meditated on Proverbs in a, in a different way because I was doing this. Mm. And I started writing about it, blogging about it, you know, doing whatever. And it just, I just suddenly started getting some stuff that I'd never thought of before about Proverbs as a book about, well, I mean, I don't want to steal thunder from later questions, but the Proverbs is the book. I mean, you've got the Bible. You know you're supposed to obey God, right? I mean, that's yeah. a basic thing. Christians should obey God. Hmm. But that, that means that Christians should work on themselves to be people who can more easily and are more naturally obey God, hmm. more quickly obey God, without as much weight or, you know, drag as you know what happens when you know you're supposed to do the right thing and you don't want to do it or you can't or you don't want to do anything you know you want to sit on a chair and watch a youtube video or something i mean that kind of thing and i started thinking about it as commentary or meditation on genesis and that gave me all sorts of ideas which became this book and um and in the process of working on it and writing about that, this whole kind of manosphere, Jordan Peterson, um, the, all this different kind of masculinity topics started coming up. Some of them very wild and very unchristian, some of them somewhat helpful. Yeah. And all of them, I think, dealing with a, a reality that's got to be dealt with. Yeah. And um, I started realizing it kind of, I had something to say about that from Proverbs because Proverbs is obviously, it is obviously a book for everyone. It's in the Bible. It's wisdom for everyone, but it's obviously a father talking to a son as well as a king talking to a prince. And if we're going to talk about how we should address young men in our culture as Christians, it cries out to be used. Hmm. And it, even though there's stuff in it that it's hard to understand or it's hard to organize or get your thoughts around or have a, get a flow for the whole thing at once, like I like to do with books. I mean, that's certainly what I did with Mark's gospel. It nevertheless can be utilized and can be studied. And I think I, I try to move us forward and try to fit it into the whole Bible and apply it to all life, but be centered on what Proverbs uniquely says. So that's how yeah. it happened. So yeah, the, once, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the first chapter is called You Must Rule Yourself. And you kind of hit on these twin themes of really the entire story of the Bible could be considered a, a coming to age story of uh, humanity and man as an infant coming to maturity in Christ. And then also as this kind of priest king prophet progression where you go from being a servant, you just do what you're told to a king who has to use wisdom to make judgments and then you become a prophet in your older age where you're using just your words to, to command. Yeah. Can you talk about how those two kind of themes can be really helpful to men as they read Proverbs, but also, you know, the rest of scripture? Well, that's funny, Aaron, because I think you're reading this, my book as someone who has listened to and read a lot of Jim Jordan yeah. and Peter Lightheart. <laughs> That's actually not much in the book. The book is astounding to me that I would write a book like this because I actually do very little biblical theology. I mean, you know that that's behind it. Yeah. But it's, it's like I said, it's not like my Mark commentary at all. I mean, I, and, and that's somewhat purposeful. I mean, I did a, um, 
I did a conference um, recently in January and to a church, a Reformed church. And there I did a whole lecture that really was only piecemeal from the book. It was basically on the kind of a biblical theology. I didn't actually go into the prophet thing as much. But just talking about wisdom and how it it's promised in Genesis, but it's the purpose of humanity. So it is true that the Bible unfolds the ideal of human beings and the human race collectively becoming wise and going through these stages. And I think Jim's absolutely right to tie that with prophet, priest, and king. It also kind of ties in with the history of Israel, with um, tribes, um, king, monarch, the monarchy, and then the empire, the world empire. Um, and my what I did was I kind of took a lot of Paul's reflection on that, or what I think of as Paul's reflection on that, yeah. um, where he talked about different, like he talked about the human race in Israel, and but he's talking about the human race because he's also talking about believing Gentiles now. But he says, we were all once children, and therefore we were no different as slaves. That's in Galatians, and it's a redemptive historical sweep. And now we're moving into adulthood, and it had, and Jesus had to be there to kind of move us in the right direction and, and get us there. But we have become adults. So, yeah, there is a sweep of biblical history. What I do, though, is basically talk about, and then I kind of reverse the metaphor, talk about us as we grow up, what needs to happen in our thinking and in our habits, in our attitudes, that we need to leave childish ways behind, as Paul says in the Corinthians. I quote a lot of Paul in this part, that we need to not be basically blown about by the storms, the internal storms inside us, the external storms that influence us more than they should. Not that we can ignore them, but they have dominion over us at a time when we're children. You know, when, our, when we're children, we need our parents to guard us from ourselves, from what we could do in these storms. But when we grow up, we're supposed to get anchored. We're supposed to become impervious to some extent to these things, at least know how to deal with them and keep stay on course. And so that was kind of, I used all those texts. And of course, I am very pleased, Aaron, that you would see kind of the background of what I was working with and what kind of made me alert to this stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, there's surprisingly little bit of little of that in, in this book because I kind of got excited about this stuff that I had never thought of before that I was trying to relate to people who might not have that background, but also that I was just trying to explore. So yeah, the book could have had a lot more in there, but I guess a lot of extent what I want to tell people, you know, read, read Jordan, you know, so I didn't, I didn't actually say that in the book, but that's kind of where it's coming, where I was going and where I was coming from. Yeah. We, um, we like short books and this is a great book that like a guy has no excuse for not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, I appreciate book, it's, that. it's just more practical than I would normally write and I never expected to write, but it, it's something, it, it grabbed me. So I had to write it. So yeah. yeah. Now what I do talk about redemptive historically, these, these things also involve material changes. And I do talk about how, Proverbs is written for people that are a lot wealthier than they used to be. Mm -hmm. That's when Solomon became king, though there are some problems with this, he made Jerusalem, he said, made silver as common as stones. It became a fantastically, fantastically more wealthy place. Now, 
compared to us and our standard of living, I don't think we would have thought that much of it if we were transported back in time before we died of whatever disease would be subject yeah. to back then. But for them, I think it was a new world. I mean, for one thing, you have children that have, are all going to be farmers, and all of a sudden they're not. All of a sudden you've got the chance of them getting a job in the city or them being involved in international trade. The husband who's away on a trip with a bag of money, you know, he's got a caravan, he's on a business trip. People are, there are new, it's a whole new world. And everyone, even if everyone's not participating in it, everyone's now have, has options. Their thinking has expanded. And in that context, I, my suspicion is, and I, I write about this in a book, I also have a, uh, wrote about it, what I write, some kind of clickbaity um, title. Oh, was Solomon Paleo? Um, that's at the Theopolis Institute. It has nothing to do with anything about that, but I just had to use it. Um, where I suggest, I think, I, I mean, this, I can't prove this, but I really suspect that when Solomon says, you know, that a, a son who sleeps during the harvest is a son who brings shame, um, everyone on the farm probably knew that. It was the city folk who would probably think that they had transcended those kind of limitations. And you haven't transcended those limitations. You've just delayed the consequences. And yeah, you've got more time to like avert that outcome. But at the same time, you also have more time to develop really bad habits. And eventually, you know, um, there is a problem, I'm forgetting the reference, where Solomon basically says in the way of the wicked, the way of the sluggard, it's a path of thorns. And you think about that, God cursed the world with scarcity and made people have to work in order to survive. He said the, the earth will bring forth thorns now. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it turns out that when we get so wealthy and we alleviate that curse and we reduce it, we then produce it with our own behavior. We make scarcity for ourselves yeah. because we get careless and because of sin and because of foolishness, which are almost the same thing, but not quite. I think there's a, you know, they're not quite identical, but they overlap all the time and so this is idea and i think it's got direct application to our own situation in the modern world we are fantastically powerful and wealthy hmm. i mean 200 years ago the idea that that teenagers would casually get in big huge machines and drive 60 miles per hour that no one did that that was like space travel i mean that was like what when we see iron man you know with his little nanobites to dress him up quick plate armor that flies and that that's how strange it is and yet we we deal with that every day and as a result our slothfulness and our can sneak up on us and also we can imagine that there's no consequences for behavior because for a long time there's not and then it catches up to us and mm-hmm. solomon's saying don't fall asleep to that don't think that reality doesn't exist just because you have virtual reality. It, you're, you're a biological person and living in the material world to, to make it completely inappropriate. Nothing to do with this equation. But anyway, so I think there, there is this kind of historical movement where wisdom, you need wisdom now because you got to think about living and what kind of habits are going to be required for living righteously and, um, and being productive, which is what God wants you to be. Yeah, one of the takeaways I really appreciate, I forget if it's in chapter three or four, is where you take, uh, you say not planning for the future is an act of sloth, of like mental sloth, where we normally just think of like the guy laying around playing video games or something. And I thought 
that that's totally true because you know I come in and I sit down with a guy and I might say like, all right, show me your budget. What budget? You, you know, uh, there's a certain things that they they've not done in some ways, just they've never been equipped to. But to say, all right, is there a sin behind this besides just folly? And I thought, yeah, sloth is probably a good kind of sin category to talk about some of our own failures and then. And then actually you give us a way to, to deal with that with the, you say the, the, the virtue is then diligence. And that's not just pulling the all-nighter, but it's that consistent, uh, persistent yeah. work ethic. Can you talk maybe a little bit more about that? Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I talk about the book that, that you know, we, um, one thing I thought about, and, you know, I, by the way, a lot of history of messing up here, so I'm not claiming to be the, the, the age-old sage, um, except in the bitter sense of the word. Um, but, you know, reading, you know, this stuff, well, it's convicting to me for a reason. Um, I, I know that, like, when I was growing up, when I got a job, I felt pride. I did the job well. I got complimented. I was, that was great. I mean, I had a job. And, okay, so what did I do? Well, I bought things I wanted to buy. I didn't have to ask my parents anymore. Okay, that's that's good too. But that was it. My parents were there to provide food and not clothing so much because they wouldn't buy the things I wanted anyway. But, you know, they're there to provide everything for me. And I had the job basically for luxury goods and hobbies. Now, taking responsibility for that was good. It never occurred to me that I should start having the habit of just absolutely putting a portion of that aside just purely to learn how to do it and to get used to doing it and then to start feeling in it. So I would feel anxiety when it reduced and always wanted to grow. And I remember in college, you know, I mean, same thing. I, I, I had my expenses paid, you know, it's kind of like, well, when I get out of college, then I'm in the real world. Well, by that time, me has become a person with certain habits and thoughts and, and, um, just habitual behaviors that it's going to take pain to actually change by that point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you hear it'll always be the next job will provide for this much and this much more. And it never happens. Mm -hmm. And I'm just telling you, you know, anyone should expect it to not happen. I mean, you, you should expect that to not happen. I mean, um, and then, you know, if it does and you can be pleasantly surprised, but, you know, the idea that you should be, I mean, when I think about it, you know, when I was in college, you know, we had, um, obviously, you won't be surprised by this, kind of a left-wing, right-wing divide between people. And there's like, back then it was Ron Sider and um, Rich Christians in Age of Hunger. But, you know, as I remember it, we all had these fantastic debates while we all spent everything we had on pizza and sat around and talked. And I was like, who was a capitalist there? Well, no one. I mean, my understanding from what I heard, you know, secondhand from people who knew Ron Sider, he actually lived within a budget, you know, gave a lot of his money away. He actually, he talked the talk and walked the walk. I don't remember anyone in college doing that. But I don't also remember anyone acting like they were going to build a household or looking forward to being an entrepreneur at some point or, you know, being able to provide for emergencies. So, you know, foolishness creeps up on you. And, you, and I mean, a part of it is, you know, then you hear that everyone's this way and you think, oh, that's normal. That's not my fault. It's just normal. Well, 
it is and it isn't. You know what I'm saying? You need the Bible would suggest that you should be proactive about this and be different. Now, you know, at that point, I'd say go listen to Dan, Dave Ramsey or you know someone like him. That that's you should talk to. I was more kind of getting into the attitudes and how this starts young, and it just it's, it's hard to unwind. Hmm. You know your expectations, your habits. So that take that for what it's worth. Yeah, people should be thinking about the future. You know, like the prodigal son. I talk about him. He had all this wealth. He had half of a built-up inheritance, like all this tremendous wealth. And I'm sure he did not say, I will blow this in three years. But he didn't plan for famine. Yeah. So the famine came, and he had, his, he had to spend it all, all of a sudden. So, you know, bad things happen. You don't control the future, but you need to be re- reasonably prepared for them. I mean, I think about that, especially you know, that, you know, I wrote all this before COVID, but now I'm thinking, well, gee, preppers seem wise, don't they? I mean, they didn't, <laughs> didn't seem quite that wise before, but man, people who amassed toilet paper at one time. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. obviously we don't know everything, but these are the habits the Bible does commend. And um, in the gospels, you know, foolish people are the people who don't think about the future and the parables. They yeah. don't, they don't consider. Uh, I was hoping, before I kick it over to, to you, Jacob, uh, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about Tolkien. You you start chapter one with this, you know, epic quote from the Fellowship of the Ring, all that is gold does not glitter, and, and so on. And I, I find Tolkien just constantly just working through Lord of the Rings, I'm, I'm in The Hobbit right now, just refreshing. And I'm just curious if you, in any ways, kind of like self-consciously or maybe even subconsciously, how he's influenced uh, you're thinking about these kinds of things. Okay, well, let me say first that because it's happened recently, I just recently listened to The Horse and His Boy while I was on a trip. I've read it several times, listened to it before, but I listened to it again. And I could not believe it because I felt like my entire book was being illustrated to me. I mean, and I mean, I know the story, so I shouldn't have been surprised, but it, I mean, Anyway, I'm going to have to actually, uh, a guy named Andrew Isker and I are going to have a discussion on, I hope to post about, about that because I, I had him read it. I mean, he's, a, because I, I just couldn't believe it. It was, it, it was, I mean, so both of them are, I, and I, you know, I say that because I was thinking about Lewis, I mean, Tolkien, because I guess more freshly, I'd written a book on him. So, you know, that was in the more recently in the background of my mind. Okay. The answer to your question is the big deal about Proverbs is, Proverbs is written by a king to a prince, right? It's Solomon. He says, my son. So that, that seals it right there. Yeah. Um, now, I don't talk about this in the book. That also puts a kind of a damper on it because, of course, his outreach to uh, Jeroboam didn't go so well. Or Rehoboam, excuse me, didn't go so well. Of course, he, he himself didn't go so well. But that, that was out of the purview of what I wanted to write about, so I didn't. But it's a king written to a prince. So... On face value, then, if this book is written to everyone, and to every son especially, it's we're all kings. There's some sense in which that's already embedded in Proverbs. We are all kings. Well, how are we all kings? Well, we definitely don't look at like kings, and our circumstances don't think about kings. I think I found the best place to put up my background in the whole house. I mean, you know, it's not a palace here. But um, 
what we're responsible for is our kingdom. And by what I mean, our kingdom is what we're responsible for. Our own bodies, our minds, our attitudes, our hands and feet, our tongues, most scarily of all. And God can elevate us or not. And he says that, you know, if you're faithful in small things, he'll give you lordship over greater things. And that can happen in this life and the next. And so with Tolkien and Aragorn with the, the, the poem, you know, Bilbo's poem about Aragorn, that I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm rereading The Fellowship right now. So the Dunedain is in my head. Um, you know, um, the idea of the, the guy who acts like a king, who views himself as a king, who believes he is a king, no matter what rags he is in, no matter if his sword is broken or whether it's been forged, but he's going to be faithful. He's going to be humble, but he's not going to be, he's not going to forget that he's a king. And I think that attitude, not all that glitters is gold. I mean, in a real sense, you, you get to something like, like the debate between Moses and God over whether Moses should be sent to, to deliver Israel and him telling God, look, I, I can't talk. I, I'm not very good at my speech. You can't send me. And you have this frustration with what is God trying to do? God has a higher view of Moses than Moses does, has a higher view of his capabilities, has a higher view of what he can accomplish. And Moses refused to see it. You know, and Moses doesn't believe that God can help him that way. So, all right, fine. Go get Aaron. Okay. Um, so we have this thing going on where we aren't kings because we don't let ourselves be. And because the only way we can think of kings is being glorious and wonderful and being respected by other people. When that's exactly the opposite of what God's after. God wants us to show him something. Give him a reason to applaud us. He's waiting to do so. You know, Paul says their praise is from God and not from men. That's the destiny of Christians. So if God says you're a king, who are you to disbelieve that? And who are you to seek ridiculous confirmations and by getting flattered by other people? That's not the right, that's not the way to royalty. So, yeah, I thought that um, Tolkien's idea of a hidden king was like a really good one. And it paralleled the fact that the hobbits, though they're not well respected, are in fact strong and can do great things when called upon. Mm -hmm. And in fact, shouldn't be as afraid as they are and shouldn't be ignoring the outside world either, which both traps they fall into or the sire falls into, uh, they have to be delivered from that. So there's a lot of themes in Tolkien that I think are absolutely important. Man, but I was kind of getting, I mean, I admittedly, it might be considered a little cheesy. You know, I have that thing about how Proverbs is telling you how to you know, I also go into the King Arthur myth about pulling the sword from the stone, which I have no idea. I would love to hear evidence that's actually what it means. But, you know, the point is, you've got potential, but a sword and a stone, you can't do anything with it. Hmm. You know, you've got to pull it out of there. And only you can do that. Yeah. I mean, now, that is humanly speaking. I mean, obviously, God's grace is involved, but I'm just saying um, that's what God's grace calls and equips you to do. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mark, thanks again for, for writing this book. I've, uh, similar kind of story in that I've started taking my faith seriously around high school. And it's the kind of book that I wish someone had given me 10 years ago. Um, and that kind of gets into a question that I had for you. you. You talk in chapter two about sort of the difference uh, of approaching your faith by charts, right? Or like, dis, you know, dispensation yeah. charts kind of 
contemporary evangelical ways or as a practitioner. And I was wondering if you could expand that a little bit more uh, about how maybe our cultural evangelicalism has uh, maybe hampered our ability to um, understand the Proverbs and to pursue wisdom in the way you're talking about. All right. Well, you know, in a sense, um, yeah, you'd say understand the Proverbs or apply the Proverbs. I mean, it's a real sense. It's a real interesting thing that in, um, in Kings, the book of first second Kings um, or first Kings, Solomon's wisdom obviously is the power to hear cases and decide them, make tough choices, tough decisions, mm-hmm. sitting on a throne, hearing the cases. But Proverbs is all about all this ethical behavior, this moral behavior. And I, I mean, it finally, I, I finally kind of, I think, bring it all together by the last chapter on speech, because it's about if you're not an impartial, detached, self-disciplined, fair-minded person, you can give up trying to hear a case and not answer before you hear. I mean, you know, you've got to have that habit in you to hear a case wisely. So in answer to your question, it's, it's kind of similar to that in that we think of, um, because of the history kind of of the church we've, and a lot of other influences, a lot of different things have been decided in books and in intellectual debates and dispotatios, and which I just mangled the pronunciation of, but whatever. You know, we, we argue about words. Now, I'm not condemning any of that for happening or for the results, but that's not the Christian faith per se. I mean, God made us to rule and to take dominion. That means to do things. Um, And in Genesis, we see he wants us to go out, build cities the right way, not the wrong way. He wants us to build altars. He wants us to lead people. He wants us to have children. These are the things that make life, make up life. And um, if we're doing them rightly and doing them under in a way that honors God is the way what God created us to do. Um, to the extent that those charts help, and you know, I'm not, you know, the five points of Calvinism or formulas we mem- memorize or whatever, that's fine. I mean, the multiplication table helps you live too. It's really important. Reading it is a very important thing. But you've got to do stuff with that. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a faithful man. You've got to do what God wants you to do in life. And um, so in Pro- if we thought about the Christian life that way, if, we, if you go straight from Genesis to Proverbs, it's just no problem. It's overlapping mm-hmm. material. Yeah. Proverbs about what will sustain a city, how a city will rejoice versus how it will be destroyed. Genesis about cities being overturned, bad cities being built waiting for a better city. I mean, on and on and on. So it just, I think it just, I know, I remember the time I thought of that because I was just reading Proverbs and I was realizing this shouldn't sound so strange. Right. And it's not just Genesis. It's really all the Bible, you know, and it's stories of blood and kingdoms and exiles and restorations and everything else. So, yeah, that's great. It sounds like, you know, there's a really big push from, from your book at not dichotomizing the spiritual and the physical, right? Yeah, that's what I hope you'll be out of it, yes. Um, and um, I do not in any way meaning to slight 
I mean, I, I talk, I give several examples. One is the, the, like the dispensations of history, which in fact, I don't believe in. And the other was other stuff that I do believe in. I mean, it's not whether it's right or wrong. It's about how it is used in your life. And if it gets used rightly or wrongly, or if it takes up right or wrong amount of space to use a metaphor, I'm not sure I could unpack, but yeah. You know. Great. Aaron, do you have uh, some closing questions for Mark? Yeah. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was uh, you talk about the kind of two points or principles of dominion are, are work and wife or kind of uh, labor and marriage. And I'm wondering, there's a ton of just like single men and women in the church who want to be married, but um, often feel like their options are limited or they're, you know, all of their peers that they would maybe be interested in are feminists or they're, um, they're maybe they say they're Christians, but like, I don't know that I'd want to marry them. What kind of advice would you give uh, to kind of single young men and women who want to uh, pursue marriage, but feel like I don't really know where to start? Well, what I say in the book is that the thing you can do that you absolutely can do is make yourself better husband material make yourself better wife material. That means trying to be productive, trying to um, build up what you can, and also it means remaining social because I think that might be difficult. I mean, you can kind of carve out a space as loner a little bit easier, and then it gets more difficult to invite someone else to partner with you because you've got your kind of, you know, set in your ways is the phrase that's overused, but it's one that came to mind. So that I've, I've seen it happen. I mean, people adapt to who they are. And if they're, even if they want to get married or they adapt to being single in a bad way, it can kind of perpetuate the problem. <laughs> I mean, other than that, it's hard to imagine generic advice I'd give apart from someone who came and asked me and I knew. I mean, now there might be lots of advice I want to give someone I know, but if they don't ask me, I'd probably be better like my book would suggest keeping your mouth shut. Um, maybe. I mean, in general, I think staying, not letting yourself get exiled from married people too much, staying friends with your married same-sex friends, um, and trying to just so you kind of stay in the idea that married life is a, is a thing you're familiar with and that you want, you know, kind of have an idea of what you're going to get into going into it. Of course, you got to know a certain kind of person. I mean, other, other than that, you know, I'm very much in favor of just if you expand your circle of friends, eventually you might are more likely to hook up with somebody. And if I hook up, I mean marry. That's the way I use the term. <laughs> All right. I have to be careful there. Um, you might get hitched, okay? Let's get a little frontier-like in our... There it is. Yeah. So... Um, that's my basic advice. Um, as far as like using networks, I mean, some people have great success with that and some people don't. I don't have an opinion about that. Yeah. I would say as a backup, just keep expanding your group of friends and meet space. Yeah. All right. So. Last question here. If I were to put you back in the pulpit um, and you, you have the opportunity to say this hypothetical scenario, you get to preach a sermon to all the young men in America right now what would be your kind of main exhortation that you would give to them kind of in this uh, moment as, as a culture? 
Well, if I have enough, if it's a long enough sermon, I would read my book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, some of the book is my preaching. I preach on this stuff, which was kind of awkward, like the time I decided to preach on the adulterous woman in Proverbs, but eight, but um, seven, anyway. But um, I'd, I would basically preach that your first, and it's what we talked about already, your first frontier, your first business, your first development project is yourself. Now, I don't mean, you can't be strictly chronological about that. You kind of do work on that as you work on other projects. You know what I'm saying? You get other responsibilities. And you gotta, But let me put it this way. Maybe this, that though the future seems in doubt, though there's lots of things you're worried about, you need to realize that where you are right now is where God can use you and develop you, if for no other purpose than to develop the habits and skills you need to be a better king and to be eventually expand your responsibility. And you need to be patient in that. Diligent means patience. You don't you wait for the reward, but you don't grow weary in doing good, or you don't tell God what his timetable should be. It would probably be a sermon on, now it's spontaneous thought, I, but Joseph comes to mind. Joseph in Egypt. Joseph totally punished for faithfulness time and again, staying faithful, and then being rewarded for it. Because I am, I am, I, I've written this, um, I am sure that Pharaoh knew, learned about what happened with, with Potiphar's wife. Um, I don't think that was a big secret. I think everyone knew. Otherwise, if, any, if Potiphar had really thought he tried to rape his wife, he would have killed him. I mean, yeah. putting him up in the, the head of the prison, that's, that's different. But anyway, um, my point is, so I think, you know, eventually, you know, not, not allowing master's wife to seduce me looked really good on his resume. It looked like someone he could trust, someone who could be entrusted with a lot of authority. So, um, Stay faithful. Nothing's wasted. No efforts wasted. Um, those who of us who wait to serve do serve and be faithful with what you have. I mean, there there is no. I mean, the Bible emphasizes that time and again, and that's a basic question of whether or not you trust God or not. I mean, if you can change your circumstances lawfully and wisely, then do so. But if you can't then be good at where you are and grow, thrive. So that, that might be the main thing. I, Great. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. The book is Solomon Says, Directives for Young Men. And uh, you can find Mark Horn. So your blog is solomonsays.net. Or is that where people can find more of your, your content? That's where I, I do a lot of content there and try to link other stuff eventually. But I'm, I also uh, sometimes write for Kyperion.com and Sometimes with the Apples Institute. Eventually that shows up on my blog too, but not always in a time. But yeah, I, Solomon says that net is where I write different stuff and kind of expand on what I wrote in the book. So That's great. Well, Mark, thanks again for joining us and for writing this book. Go get it now. <laughs>